I was going to camp, and Good News for Modern Man was, was the Bible of the time, and they sold a lot of them. Now, Good News for Modern Man is a, uh, a very loosely knit paraphrase. Very, it's, I, would, I wouldn't really suggest people read that all the time. Um, but millions of people got saved for it, and all that shows us is this, is that it's not always the words on the page, but it's the author behind the words on the page. So God speaks through his word. So as we read it, as we read whatever version that we read, if we're praying and as we get our eyes focused on him, he will speak to us. So as we open today, I just want to open with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us here, Lord, as we close our eyes. Uh, help us to forget about the pastor, to forget about the person sitting next to us, maybe even some of the troubles we had this morning on our way to church or the struggles that we're going through in life. And Lord, help us to focus upon your word. May your spirit speak to us through it today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come, I said the, the Bible can be a dangerous thing. We say, well, how can it be a dangerous thing? Well, there was a couple of verses that, that sort of ring true. In Jeremiah 23, 29, it describes the word as a fire and as a hammer. And so Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Does my word not burn like fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? And so as we look at a fire, in the Bible a lot of times, what, what was fire used for? Or what does fire re reference sometimes? Maybe purification? You know, as, as we look at uh, developing gold or silver, it's by fire, right? Through the fire, through the trials, James will tell us later, uh, we get refined. And so when we read the word of God, it begins to do that. It begins to burn at us those things that don't belong there. So it begins to refine us. And then it says it's like a hammer that smashes a rock to pieces. When I read that, I thought, you know, the, the verse that says, our heart is a heart of stone, but God wants us to have a heart of flesh. And so as we read the word of God again, and as we apply it to our life, it's going to start chiseling away at those things. Some of us have a hardened heart towards God's word or towards situations or, or towards different things. You know, we're good at speaking the word, but are we good at, at living the word? And I, I saw this little phrase that said, you know, don't just have a mouthful of scripture with a heart full of hate. See, sometimes we're like that. We, we profess things. We show things. We look like Christians. We're in church today, and by the way, coming to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. It's a place where Christians should be. It's a place where you can hear God's word. But some people have put their trust in that, that, well, if I'm here, if I dress this way, if I wear my hair this way, if I carry this version, you know, I'm all okay. As you read God's word, he begins to chip at these things in our life that don't belong there. And we all have them. And as I read James, I'm challenged time and time again. And, and I can quote a lot of James, and, and I love James, and it's there but it begins to be this hammer that chisels away, that breaks apart things in my life. These strongholds that, that maybe Satan tries to get a hold of us with. Those doubts, those fears, those, those selfish things that sometimes I want to keep and, and not let go. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the word of God is alive and powerful. So we know that when we're reading the Bible again, it's not like reading Moby Dick. This book is alive. And again, you know, if you've read Moby Dick... Twice, I don't know why anyone would do that, but if you've read it twice, you pretty much know what's happening the next time. i got little grandkids, they'll, they'll read their books, whatever their books are, and they can, 
they say they're reading them, they're on the wrong page. They're quoting that whole book. They know what it says. But the Word of God is a little bit different. The Word of God, as we pray and as we seek the Holy Spirit to, to, to really enlighten us with what the message would be that God has for me, He begins to speak to us through these things. So it, be, it's a, it says it's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. I mean... A sharp knife is a sharp knife. And this is the word of God is sharper than that. It cuts through the spirit and the soul, the, the joint in the marrow. So God's word is going to get to those hidden places. And that's why a lot of times people don't want to read the word of God because they don't want to be convicted. They don't want to change things in their life. But God is all about transformation. God is all about change. And so the more we read the word, the more that, that word pierces into our life. And begins to refine us and purify us and draw us and convict us and challenge us in our life. So if I want to stay in my sin, if I want to stay in my thought pattern or where I want to be, then I don't need to read the Bible because I don't even want to read the Bible because it's going to convict me of those things. And I've heard people say that, you know, well, the more scripture I read, the more accountable I'm going to be. So it's just basically better to stay ignorant. Well, it's not. The Bible says we're going to have to give an account. We're going to be judged on these things. And so we need to read the word of God. And so I challenge the church as we're going through James, read through the chapter. You know, even we're going to spend some time in James. It's, we're not going to rush through things here because he's got a lot of things I think that we can flesh out as we go through here. But continually read it. Let it speak to you. Come to service prepared to hear the word. And maybe God is already speaking to you before you come to service, and then you get some more nuggets to take with you as you leave. And so we need to spend time in the Word of God. And, and if we got different versions, I understand not everybody follows because different versions read, but then read it at home. Read it in the morning. Read it while you're uh, doing your evening devotions or something. Set apart time to read the Word of God. So when we look at the Bible and as we study through the Bible, we look at a few things. So what is the context? What is the context of what we are reading? The, the context is really, um, what did it mean then? So again, Christians are pretty good at taking scripture out of context. And that's where that word comes from and using it for different things. What we need to first do is when we read something, we need to take it in context. Who's the author? He, who's he writing to? What's the meaning of why he is writing to who he is? But it doesn't stop there. The second thing is, what does it mean now? If it just meant in context for back then, then we would say, well, that's a history book. And, and you know, that's, it's dead there in the history. We can read the history, though history has a way of repeating itself as we're seeing in the world today. But we also have to ask ourselves, what does it mean now? What does it mean today? And the scripture is, is again, alive and active, and there's applications for that. So we have the context, we have the explanation. What does it mean? And then what we have... What am I going to do about it? So every time I open the scripture, I try to look at that thing. Who's the author? Who's he writing it to? What's the purpose of that? Okay, there's the context. What does this mean to me now? And now that I read it, what am I going to do with it? And we found that in, in 1 John, right? I asked you guys quite a few times, what do you do with a scripture like that? We have a choice to either be obedient to it or to walk away from it. And so as we come into James... You can ask yourselves those questions as we're going through this. And so as we, as we look at the Bible of James, there's basically 
I think there's only four James that are mentioned in the Bible. A couple of them we don't know much about. One was James the, the Younger or James uh, the Less. Uh, we don't know much about him. Then there was James the son of Alphaeus. Uh, little was known about him. Then there was James the brother of John. And he was probably one of Jesus' um, inner circle. So we read about Peter, James, and John. Um, so that was the one closest, uh, closest probably to Christ. Uh, the fourth James was Jesus' half-brother. It's believed by most scholars that that was Jesus' half-brother, and that's what I assume too. Um, James, the brother of John, he was martyred, I think, in 42 A.D. or 44 A.D., somewhere in there. And the book of James was written somewhere around uh, 42 to 46 A.D. James is probably the first... Um, book that was written in the New Testament. Um, it, it's close, but it was definitely one of the first ones that was written in the New Testament. So sometimes, again, as we look through our Bible, we'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to Revelation. We think maybe the Bible was written in that direction. Um, unfortunately, it's not that way. The, the books are categorized you know, by the Gospels and the Epistles and the Pastors' Epistles and the letters and the things to come. So James is one of the earliest um, books that was written. James was also thought by many scholars to be a sermon. So back in the, the new churches, and these were going out to uh, the 12 tribes that were scattered abroad, as the scriptures will tell us. Uh, but in those times, many times, they didn't have a, a pastor necessarily in every church. And they sometimes would have a leader uh, or an apostle that would give a sermon or write a sermon, dictate a sermon, and then they would pass that from church to church, and then it would be read in the church. And so many believe, and again, I subscribe to this, that James was that. James was a sermon that was, uh, and sermons, we, we sort of look at those different today as this little, you know, 30-minute, and if you get in trouble, 40-minute things that you do. Back then, you know, they spent a lot of time listening. So it, it could have gone that they did this at a few different times or they could have read it straight through, we don't know. But it was a teaching anyways that was given. So we see that James, the half-brother of Jesus, and what do we know about him? Well, we know this, that he didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. He was a witness to the resurrection. So as he was a pastor in the church at this time and 44, 46 A.D., of course, Jesus died, you know, around 30 A.D., so we see this, like, within 10 years. He had 10 years of, of belief, and it was because he experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so that's where it goes in as, he, as we open up uh, in the book where he says uh, a servant or a bond servant, depending on the, the version that you have. And so um, as we look at this again, we, uh, we're going to probably just make it through a few verses today, and that's fine. Um, that will get you all sort of caught up and as we look at moving ahead. So he starts it out this way. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. One of the things that I think we just sort of read and maybe read lately is James' identity towards Christ. So, again... Um, just so you know that Jesus Christ, Jesus uh, was his first name. Christ was not his last name. You know, so we have like Craig Lindgren. His name was not Jesus Christ. He was actually Jesus the Christ. And so he's giving him an identity here. 
And, you know, we like to name drop sometimes. I've met some famous people in my life, and every now and then if we're talking about things, it's like, oh, yeah, I met so-and-so, and I met so-and-so. You know, what an opportunity for James to say, James, the kin of Jesus to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Or James, the brother of Jesus. But he doesn't identify himself that way. He says, Jesus, or, or James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So a bondservant was somebody that had paid a debt. So if I owed a debt and I was trying to, uh, to work off Gary's debt, and Denny says, you know what, I, I paid that debt for you. You don't need to work it off for Gary anymore. Then I become a bondservant to Denny. Well, this is a picture that James is giving us of what Jesus did for him. Jesus paid the price for my sin. Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood for my sin. Jesus rose again in victory for my sin. And so I am a bond servant of Christ or a servant of Christ. Now Jesus says, letter, you're not only servants, but, but you're friends. See, Jesus makes it intimate with us. But James is identifying himself as this bond servant. He says, I am a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a link that's going on there too that I want you to recognize. Just in case the Jews were saying, you know, God is here and Jesus is here and they're, they're not the same. No, he uses the word Lord, which means God. So he's identifying Christ as Lord or Jesus as Lord, but he's also identifying Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the one who paid the penalty. He's the Redeemer that has come. And so he gives Jesus these two titles and he links them with God, saying that they are one. So he says, James, the bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. And then he tells us this. Brethren, count it all joy when you come into or when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So he gives us this, this start, and you sort of think, well, what is this going to be about? Somebody opens up a letter like that. Well, apparently the churches, the 12 that were scattered, were facing difficult times. Churches today face difficult times. We face false doctrine coming in. We, we face Satan who wants to distract us. You know, we say, you know what? Uh, like I like standing here. I can see the cross there. Every now and then I glance through, I see the cross, and it's just a reminder to me, even subliminal message. And so as we, as we go down this, this path called life, you know, we want to keep our eyes on the road, and, and we want to keep our eyes on Jesus and yeah, I want to follow him, I want to follow him. But then all of a sudden, here comes this distraction. And all of a sudden, here comes this problem. And all of a sudden, here comes this tug in this pull. And we know this even just from our nature and, and life. As we're driving, you know, and you young ones, as you go through driver's ed, you're going to learn this. They're going to say, put your hands at 10 or 2, keep your eyes on the road, you know, be aware of all things, look two, three cars ahead of you so you know what's going on. And, and you know, within, you know, when you get old like me, then you're sort of sitting back with one hand and, you know, and you're daydreaming. You're like, except for the last couple of days, my eyes were like 10 or 2 and on the road. But, you know, we see that deer out in the field and we, and we look and, oh, you know, and, or we see this and that. And then all of a sudden we've got to hit our brakes or, you know, our phone rings or something happens. We get our eyes off those things. Spiritually, we do the same thing. And it's a constant battle for us really to, 
to, to bring it back. And that's the wonderful thing about the grace and the mercy of God is when we get our eyes off of him, he's still sort of like, here I am, here I am, get, look, look at me. And so we are brought back to him. That's the power of his word, the power of his draw. And the more time we spend in his word, we see that. And so he says, count it all joy when you're going through these things. We heard in prayer requests today that, that many people are going through some struggles. And we do. We go through those struggles. And, and he says, count it joy. So what do you mean? I, I'm not happy when I go through those things. Well, James isn't saying be happy. For one thing, he's saying count it joy. But he's got a contingency on it. He doesn't say be, be joyful in your situation. He says, be, he says count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing. And that word knowing is good because it's pointing to something in the future. Okay? It says knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So he says first we need to have faith. When we are in trials, when we're in tribulations, when we're going through things, you know, uh, you get that bad news about health, your friend is, is maybe not doing well, some loved one has passed, we get that news, how do we respond? Well, we're emotional beings, so we respond emotionally sometimes. But he says, look at it in faith. Look at it in faith. And he says, when we do that, we understand that faith produces patience. And patience really is what gives us endurance. He who endures to the end shall be saved. He gives us that endurance to walk through those valleys. You know, when we go through those things, the joy that I find is that I don't have to go through it alone. I have Jesus with me. His word, you know, supplies me. The 23rd Psalm is, is excellent. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, that verse is, is for the living. It's not for the dead. We read it at funerals all the time. But it's for the living. Because dead people don't walk. And it says, as I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For my God is with me. See, we know that God is with us. And so in faith, when we face these things, I'm not counting a joy that I'm going through this tough thing. I'm counting a joy that God is with me and that through this, through faith, he's going to teach me something. And I'm going to be better on the other end than I was coming into it. And so we learn from God. He develops our character. He develops who we are through his word. You know, it's like Julie likes to cook. And, and, and I like it when she cooks. And, and bakes, too, because bakes, this is what I'm talking about. And you ate my, my frosting the other night. I get to lick the bowl normally, but he was there. So not that I need to lick the bowl. But so Julie's out there. She, she'll be whipping up something. And, and I hear that and I see that. And so then I sneak out there and it's like, ooh, you know, I get a finger full of this, a spoonful of this. And it's usually great. But every now and then she's cooking something up and I'll go take a, like a spoonful of it. It's like, oh, man, that's terrible. And, and I don't even know what it is. But I know that when she bakes it, when it's done, it's delicious. It's wonderful. Well, when we go through life, sometimes it's like that. Right? The, the, the taste isn't there, but I know at the end, it's going to be delicious. When God is with us, when we're walking hand in hand with him, when we follow in his sovereignty and believe it in him in faith, it says that he's going to produce patience in us. Again, patience is, is a virtue that we don't have much in the world today. You know, we're hungry and we're driving by a McDonald's, we stop and get something. We're hungry, we run on the gas station, load up. 
You know, some of us my age and maybe older remember the days when you would wait for dinner. You would wait for lunch. You know, you'd, you'd go ask Grandma, can I have some cookies? No, it's going to spoil your dinner. Well, now we just eat all day long. But when we have patience, it's so much better. And I've learned this. So, and you know I talk a lot about food because I like to eat, right? Potlucks are great things. But the thing is, is if Julie's making a great meal and I'm snacking on this or that or the other thing, when it comes dinner time, I'm not that hungry. But if I wait, and if I can persevere until that meal is done, I know that it's going to be so much better. And so we learn perseverance through our faith. God walks with us through these things, and sometimes when we're in the middle of those valleys, they seem like forever. But when we come out the other side, we can see God's hand through those things. And so we know that produces patience. And then it says, let patience have its perfect work. So patience has a purpose in a work in this joy that we find and the faith that we've exercised. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What do you mean we're going to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing? Well, our perfection comes through Christ. We know in this life we're, we're going to sin. And that's not a license to sin. We, we sin. But we know that as we follow him, we want to, not necessarily that we can be sinless, but we want to sin less in our life. And that's what Christ helps us do. And so as we have patience, as we focus upon things, just think in your life how many times if you would have stopped for a moment before you did something or said something and just thought about it for a moment before you stepped ahead. I mean, how many of us would have been in maybe some less predicaments? I know I would. Because there's a lot of times we become reactionary. Somebody says something and we say something right back. And as those words leave our mouth, we're thinking, that was a mistake. But, but they're out there. And to get those back is virtually impossible. And so when we have patience, when we think about things, James is going to tell us about guarding the tongue. You know, we don't need to say every thought that's in our head. We shouldn't say every thought that's in our head. But we tend to say every thought that's in our head. You know, we learn patience. We learn to think through things. We learn to listen. We learn to have, let the Holy Spirit have control of our life and of our tongue and of the things that we go through. And so as we look at this, we find out in our life that we actually become sort of spiritual Jews in our belief and our faith. God has that planned out for us. It was written to the 12 tribes okay, of Israel, but he also included in the Gentiles. Ephesians 2 says, don't forget that you were Gentiles. Uh, as Gentiles, you were outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. See, the Jews said, you know, I'm a Jew because I dress this way, look this way, I've been circumcised, been this, been that. Um, and they really cast off the outsiders. There was a process to be a, 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 that the Jews would let some people in. Uh, but it all dealt with the outside. And I want you to think about churches that, that do this. You know, and jokingly, I sort of said that to Julie when we were looking at this church. I said, I want to see what people are wearing in there. Because there are those churches that are that, like that. You can't have hair touching your ear. You can't, uh, you know, women can't cut their hair. You, you can't do this. You can't do that. You got to wear this. You got to carry this Bible. You got to do these things. 
And there's actually a church, and I just talked to these well, volunteer at, at the prison, but there's actually this church that says they tell people if they come for a while and they're not fitting in, they're not, I call it cloning, they're not cloning to the, the others in church, they actually tell those people, we don't think you're a fit here, you should go find another church. I can't imagine that, but that's, that's the legalism. The Jews were like that. It says they were proud of their circumcision even though it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. The gospel, the word, is alive and active. Jesus desires to take a heart of stone and make it into a heart of flesh. He wants to change our lives and transform us into what he would have for us to do. It says in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You know, the lost today, we say, well, everybody knows about church, everybody knows about Jesus, but they don't know the story. They don't know the gospel message. They don't know the promises that God has given. They've been taught a lie. And God has given us the opportunity to speak that truth into people's lives. What they do with it, they do with it, but we tell them the truth. We tell them that, that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, and that he's coming back for those that are his. We tell them that he will walk with them through their circumstances and through their struggles. We tell them that he has a great love for them. So just like in the old days where the Gentiles didn't know the covenant or promises, there are people today that don't know those covenants and promises that Jesus has made for them. He says, you lived in this world without God and without hope. Do we see that today? People that live without God and more sadly without hope despair that people have in their life. But he says, but now you have been united with Christ, Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Spiritually, we're Jews. Jesus wants to make a difference in your life. So the application is this. The Bible is different than reading other books. We, we learn it. We link it to today. And then we live it. Because God isn't just interested in, in the information that we get out of it, but the transformation that takes place. There's a lot of people that got a head full of knowledge, but they have not Jesus in their heart. We need Jesus in our heart. Do you have Jesus in your heart? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Don't rest upon, well, I was raised in the church, don't rest upon, I even say some walk the altar. Is Christ alive in your heart? See, we know that. It says, my spirit testifies with his spirit. If I'm in the, in the wrong state of mind or in the wrong thing, I get convicted of it. God speaks to me on those things. As I read his word, if there's things and attitudes or whatever in my life that don't belong there, it moves me. It moves me. And don't get this wrong, I'm not perfect in it. I struggle just as every one of us struggles. But Jesus came to transform us. Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? We'll close with that today. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We pray for each one here, Lord. Lord, you're the only one that knows the heart. We don't know. We can be deceived by outward appearances too. People's professions, the way they look, the, the, the things they say. But Lord, you are a revealer of the heart. You know, the scriptures even tell us that, that 
We don't even know our own heart. It is so deceitfully wicked. That's a humbling thing. But we do have the promise that when we come to you, Lord, in prayer, that your spirit is there. And your spirit cuts through that stuff. Your spirit is that refining fire. It is that hammer. It is that sword that speaks to our life. Father, we have opportunities around us each day to speak this truth into people's lives. But it needs to begin with us. Lord, as we grow closer to you, as we spend more time in your word, we become more in the image of Christ. And that's the drawing for others. Not just the words we say when we say one thing and live another, as James will address to us. But when we live a life that is pleasing to you. And Lord, we know that we all fall short of that. Lord, we, we pray for one another and we encourage one another. As the Proverbs would say, as iron sharpens iron. Lord, we want to do that. So Lord, use us this week. Help us, Lord, to be... I don't want to say better Christians because we can't be any better than what you have for us. But Lord, maybe more committed, more desiring of spending time in your word. And that we may exercise those characteristics of love and grace and mercy and truth to those around us. Help us to tell the story of Jesus. To write on their heart every word. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.